have the conversations, but maybe they may not go exactly as you had hoped, right? I mean, if you're betting 500, if half the time the conversation goes reasonably well, that's a win. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about how to teach your teen financial responsibility. Now, this could be a tricky conversation to initiate for parents. That's why I've invited certified financial planner Ed Vargo to help us out today. Ed is the creator of Enlighten Her, a community devoted to money mentorship for women. The focus is on helping moms get clearer and more confident around money so that they can mentor the next generation to achieve financial equality and break the traditions that hold women back. Ed's personal finance expertise has been featured in major media outlets like CNN Money, CNBC, and Forbes. When Ed isn't helping women achieve financial equality. He enjoys hiking and kayaking with his wife and five daughters. Welcome to the show, Ed. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So, Ed, why are you so passionate about helping women achieve financial equality? Yeah, I get that question a lot. You know, being a guy in the world of finance, why have I gravitated towards working with women? And it's really born out of sort of my past and looking towards my future. So, it started with my mom, and the history there was that my mom, unfortunately, ran into some problems growing up, like my parents divorced when I was young, and my mom was an immigrant from South Korea, never read the language, didn't write the language, and so she had no financial mobility. And so it really caused her to have to give up custody of us kids when we were very young. And that's a pretty, I mean, probably as difficult a thing as you could possibly have to do is give up custody of your children because of a lack of economic and financial mobility. So I look I look on that experience and it really has colored my work in this space because like, I never want to see a woman have to go through something like that again. And then you fast forward to today and to my kids and I want them, my girls, to grow up to be strong, formidable, independent women. And I know you can't do that without being financially strong. So the passion really comes from looking at what my mom went through and then looking out at my girls and by extension, other women and saying, I really don't want to see that ever happen again. I love that. I love that mission. I have a daughter, she's eight, and we are constantly talking about money because of different background, but obviously same sort of reasons. I would love for her to thrive financially in her life and knowing that finances can have a big impact on a woman's life. I feel very uh, passionate about your mission. So I'm glad to have you on here today. So where do you see financial inequality for women in our society today? Where are some areas that maybe you are concerned about that uh, your focus in Enlighten Her is maybe helping? Yeah, in our focus and Enlighten Her is not so much on the macro financial inequalities. I mean, that's a big topic and it's a complex subject. So we have a tendency to be more narrow in our focus to look at at the micro. So what can somebody do in their own life to address any perceptions of inequality or if they're really facing something that's out there? You know, fighting that big macro behemoth of, you know, financial inequality, that there's a place for that. But I think for most of us, we could probably start in our own backyard and look at ourselves and say, am I not as educated in the world of finance as I should be or as I could be? 
is there something in money, something to do with money that's holding me back and why is that? So it's really first about understanding ourselves, understanding what role we play with our money in our own households, and then deciding from there the best course of action. So I'll give an example. In a lot of households, we see this distinction, this division of labor. A lot of husbands handle the money side, the big major stuff, and then the women handle you know, other things in the household. And if you're talking regular chores, like you, you know, as most parents are, you know, for those of us kids, right, you kind of divide and conquer your household chores. If if I give up, say, I don't know, mowing the lawn, and I have to pick it up later in life, that's not a problem. It's easy for me to figure that out. But let's say that we go through a divorce, and I gave up the financials, right? I kind of deferred that to my husband, and now you know things went wrong, or maybe. He passed away or something like that. And I've got to pick all the financials up. That's really difficult to do, right? It puts us in a, puts the woman in a very vulnerable position, a position either to be taken advantage of by circumstance or just by bad behavior. And so that's what I'd be looking at. I would say, am I doing everything I can to be financially strong, to share the financial responsibilities in the household? because it's too important to do anything otherwise. So, and it's an area where women consistently, and this is generationally, and it's still carrying forward in the millennials today, where they're less confident than their husbands, they're more willing to give up that financial control to their husbands today. It's something I feel very strongly about. Like I look at my girls and I say, that's something you're not gonna do. But you can be an equal partner, I'm all for that, but to reflexively give up control of your money it's really just a, a bad idea and it holds women back. Let's talk about how you handle that in your relationship then, because you and your wife are working together and obviously trying to, you know, be a good example to your daughters. What do you do with your wife to have some of that equal footing or to at least I know that you have that background of financial acumen. How are you making that equal for your relationship? I am in a unique situation being that my profession is in the world of personal finance. So naturally, I have expertise in that area. And so naturally, I handle, I do handle most of the big ticket conversations, whether it's around investing or insurance. But it's not me going in and making decisions. We have conversations like we come together on these things. If we're planning for retirement or how we support our children financially, that is somewhat of a money decision, but it's also a values decision. And the big thing is, is we focus on values first. And then we see how the money supports those values. So again, you don't have to be equal partners when it comes to managing the money. Hey, maybe the husband is more adept at the investment side, has a background for it, a knack for it, just likes it more. But that doesn't mean the wife shouldn't be involved. They shouldn't have conversations and be kept abreast of what's going on. And what we've done and what I really espouse others to do is create something called guiding principles. And guiding principles are basically a set of sort of rules or instructions, basically guidelines of how we want to manage our financial affairs. And it's something we can always come back to that keep us grounded because we put those guiding principles together. We put them together together. You know, we create them together. It's almost like a set of family values. And then based on those family values, you guys direct your finances in that fashion. Is that right? Yeah, think of it kind of like the, the your bill of rights, your personal bill of rights, right? These are the founding principles of how we're going to use our money to achieve the goals that we have in life. And we always lead with our values. And that's one of the big things we talk about with our girls is that you, know, you don't have to have a lot of money 
to be happy. You don't have to have a lot of money to be truly wealthy, but the, but you do have to have your values in the right place. And you have to have your money in the right place, which means our values are here and our money should be down here supporting those values. And so often, you know, we get it the other way around. We put our money first. It's like this, we think money, more money is better. And we forget that, oh yeah, we have these things called values, which should really be the drivers of our decisions. And that includes how much money we go after and for how long. I think that's a really good point because, you know, if the values aren't set up to begin with, you can make as much money as you want. That can't solve all of your problems if you haven't set up those values to begin with. Well, let's talk about some of those conversations you're having with your daughters. You mentioned the setting of values. How are you implementing that with your daughters so that they can carry on a good financial acumen as they as they move forward? Yeah, the biggest thing by far is to be a good example. I mean, I know we hear that all the time, right? Live your truth. But what happens with kids and how they develop their own money mindset is first by watching and listening to us. It's not through direct conversations because quite frankly, most, most kids when they're younger, I mean, I have teens between the ages of 15 and 21, right? I haven't had a, a really detailed money conversation, like a technical money conversation with probably any of them. I mean, we've gotten into some things like compound interest and you know, some, some fundamentals, but not real in depth but they've learned a ton about money from watching my wife and I, how we talk about money. It's, it's an open conversation. It's not taboo. We don't hide it. That's a big problem with women. Oftentimes women feel like it's uncouth to talk about money or, you know, we shouldn't make that a focus because it's focusing on the wrong things. And there's a distinction there between talking about money and making it a focus in your life and over-focusing on it and caring too much about it. There is a line. And so we should have these conversations. And we made, we've always made sure that money talk was open. We talked about money in front of our kids. And more importantly, they saw how we used our money. So I'll give you a good example. And, and we shared these conversations with them. So one of the things I do with my girls when they graduate from high school is I do a father-daughter trip. We go, you know, we go see the world. They get to pick where we go, within reason, of course. And you know, we just plan this adventure together and we go do it. But that, of course, costs money. And before we came to that conclusion, before we decided, yeah, this is something that we could afford to do, we had to say, well, how are we going to pay for it? What's the trade-off there? And as it turns out, in my case, it was a pretty simple trade-off. I just couldn't get a new car. <laughs> you know, so if I gave up getting a new car, I could take five of these wonderful vacations, create these special memories with my girls. And all I had to do was say, no, I'm going to keep the car that I have, have no car payment. And, and that was the trade-off for me. And that was an open discussion with our girls. We just said, hey, we have a choice here. We have enough money to do one or the other. And we just have to decide what's most important to us. And we let our values decide what choice made the most sense. And my, my conversation with them was, it wasn't that I made the right choice, right? It wasn't going on the trip was the right choice for everyone. That was the right choice for me. And for others, they could have said, you know what, I want the new car, it's important, I feel safe in it, I feel all the things, you know, whatever the reason. But it's their decision to, it's up to them to make that decision, not have it forced upon them. So I think that's really important when it comes to teaching our kids. We don't have to know a lot of technical financial stuff to teach them good money, to, to build a good money mindset in them. 
Yeah, it's being able to decide what your values are personally and then following them. And, and to your point, it's very personal. Personal finance is very personal. So what might work for your family might be different for another family. So let's talk about some other unique ways that you can talk to your teens about money. There's a lot of parents listening that maybe they have teens or preteens as they're getting to that point where they want to have these individuals be responsible with their money. So what are some unique ways to kind of talk to them outside of just being a good example? Sure. Well, I mean, dealing with teenagers is always hard, right? I mean, (laughs) you could do everything right and still have it come out wrong. So I think a couple of things is first is understand that, have the conversations, but maybe they may not go exactly as you had hoped, right? I mean, if you're betting 500, if half the time the conversation goes reasonably well, that's a win. And for those cases where you start down a path and it doesn't quite go the way you want it to go, whether it's you're at a loss for words or you're not articulating yourself quite the right way or they're completely off the reservation and they're just not hearing you, that's okay. Learn to to back up, shut it down and come back again. But when it comes to having those conversations, one of the first things is to never do it in an emotional state or a hot state, right, when your emotions are up. And that's when we we often engage in these conversations because there's a trigger. There's something that happens in our life. And maybe your daughter wants you to buy her a $150 pair of Birkenstock sandals, right? And you're like, are you crazy? There's no way. And so it starts to escalate from there and you get that conversation started on the wrong foot. And so what I would do is I would take note of that and then come back to that conversation later and then talk to talk to your girls or your, your sons about whatever that financial topic is, but you're doing it in in a controlled state. Your emotions aren't high. You're both in a position to have a level-headed conversation. So that's obviously true, I think, in most things, but particularly around money and particularly with teenagers. The other thing is you want to be careful not to lecture. If you have teens, that's the last thing they want to do. They want to hear another lecture from their parents. And I don't care how right you are because you probably are right. I'm like, I'm in finance. I do this for a living. Right? <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. And yet they still don't want to hear what you have to say, which doesn't make any sense. But, you know, teenagers are selfish, right? And their world revolves around themselves and their struggle for identity. It's part of why we love them, but it's also a big part of the challenge. So I find another tactic that works, of course, you know, having these conversations in a cold state, definitely do not lecture, have a conversation. You know, your voice has to stay calm. If their voice gets raised, you lower your voice, right? Those types of things. But then one of the more effective ways to do this is to have a conversation within earshot of your teen, right? So I do this, I used to do this all the time with my kids. You know, my wife and I would be sitting in a living room and I, we knew that the kids were within earshot. And a lot of times they listen in on our conversations. They don't think we know, but we know. And that gives us an opportunity because we can talk about a subject between the two of them. My wife and I can talk about this topic that I couldn't talk to my teen directly, but we can talk amongst, you know, between the two of us and they listen in on that conversation and they actually, their guard is down, their defenses come down. They actually hear what you have to say because they don't feel like you're trying to sell them, right? You're not being a parent at that point. You're just having an honest conversation with your spouse and they take that more at face value. So I find that to be really effective. I mean, don't overuse it, don't manipulate your kids, right? (laughs) But it works really well because what you're looking for is a way for them to hear you. And oftentimes it's just so difficult to do that with kids. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. 
let's jump back into the show. I've read some of your articles mentioning you not even doing the talking, but letting other formats do the talking like movies. Do you have any other options like that that might be helpful? Yeah, I think movies are great, right? Because what movies do, it's like, we're, we're not going to talk about money, we're watching a movie, right? But during the course of that movie, it can revolve around money. And so it gives you a way to enter a conversation when everyone's guard is down. And you just ask casual questions. You just talk about, you're just talking about the movie. But you could weave in some of your ideas or some of your thoughts, or you can ask questions to get them to talk and open up. Because a lot of times it's really hard to get kids to talk about money. And, and I've done this directly. I've asked all of them at some point in time, I've said, okay, tell me what your concerns about money or what do you know about money? Just trying to pick their brain to find out how they think as a teen or even in young 20s. And the problem with that is they're so, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know enough about money to even ask a question that makes sense to them. So it's really impossible to engage in conversations in that way. But if you're watching a movie, whether it's something like Wall Street, where Michael Douglas talks about greed is good, that's a great conversation to have. Like greed is good. What does he mean by that? Is greed really good or is it automatically bad? And it fosters a conversation between you and you know your kids. Yeah, the movies is it's a really fun one, too, because I mean, who doesn't like movies, right? Absolutely. I'm just thinking about some movies that would pop into my head for conversations on it, because I obviously I have a podcast about money, so I don't mind talking about money, but maybe I talk about it too much. But maybe this would be a way for me to, you know, introduce some other topics to my kids or even my wife, for that matter, who doesn't (laughs) doesn't want to hear me talk about money as much as I do. (laughs) Yeah, you know, money is not for most people. Money is not like an exciting subject. It's not something like they're really eager to get up and rush out and say, yeah, let's have a great conversation on compound interest. Isn't that great? Nobody does that. You know, maybe some, you know, FinCon nerd geeks like us or something like that. Exactly. But if you can find ways to do that, I don't have any specific examples, but like song lyrics, you know, I've taken an interest in song lyrics, not so much from the money side, but, but from some of the lessons, like life lessons, but life lessons always tie in with money. Like I have this belief that we think about money incorrectly, that we fundamentally think about money incorrectly. We think about it like a thing to be managed you know, something that's, you know, we earn to be spent. But I really think money is an extension of who we are and who we want to be, right? It's an extension of what we value. And when you, because if you really want to see what somebody values, watch how they spend their money. It tells you pretty quickly. And these song lyrics often talks about things in life, but things in life and how we manage our money go hand in hand. So I think song lyrics can also be something where you can draw something out of kids. If you could just go to a place where they already are and have that money conversation come up organically and you could steer the conversation there. But movies are great for that. Music can be good for that, too. There's so much stuff today with with proliferation of social media. So there's a lot of ways to engage kids in conversation, but you just have to do it the right way. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about how you manifest that into action with your daughters, too. Do they have some sort of responsibility with physical money? Like you mentioned, the $150 shoes, they come up to you, say, hey, we should get these shoes. Are they involved in that process? Have they earned that money? And are they going half and half with you? How does that work in your house? It's interesting because I've thought about this a lot. Like It's really important for me to raise kids who understand money, its place in the world, but also for them not to be entitled. It's what a really important thing for me was not, not to give them too much too fast. And 
they have their own money. They, you know, all their birthday money, all of their gift money and stuff like that. They take that, they hold on to it. They have their own bank accounts. All of them have their own bank accounts set up for that. We take care of all of the stuff for the house, right? Anything that's you know, typical parent type of stuff, but they have some skin in the game when it comes to other items and say bigger ticket items. As an example, there's these school trips that are these school sponsored trips, right? You can go to Italy or, you know, France or whatever the case may be. And of course, every kid wants to go on that, right? I'm like, hey, we got five kids in our house. If you're like most parents, you don't want to fight the fight and say one gets and the other doesn't. So if I make this decision once, I'm setting a precedent, right? So if I let the oldest go on this trip, we're kind of locked in, <laughs> you know, for the next four, not 100%, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but for the girls, I said, look, if you want to do this, I'm willing to meet you halfway or be a part of this and support you on it. But, you know, I'm not paying for the whole thing. That's not how this works. This is something completely extraneous. I think it's a great thing. And if it's a great thing for you to go on, it's a great thing for you to work towards. And so we, we said we would say, come up with half the money or whatever the number is. We had an agreement and then they had to come up with their share. And so they did, whether it's doing odd jobs around the house for us, you know, we want to pay them for their work. I mean, it's important. I think that when kids do something beyond the normal expectation, the normal responsibilities of somebody who lives in your house, you should pay them. And I think that's important because it teaches them at an early, at an early stage in life where money comes from. Money comes from work, right? It doesn't come from mom and dad just giving you money. It comes from work. And if we can instill that early, I think it can be really helpful to fight that entitlement mentality down the road. So all of the girls have done some sort of, you know, gone to work formally or have done work for us. They certainly do odd jobs. They'll go to family and friends, you know, to cut grass and, you know, babysit, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, they have skin in the game. For you know stuff like that, if they want to, we don't buy new phones. You don't buy the latest and greatest tech. But if they want to get a new phone, I'm not paying for that entirely. I'm like, well, we're going to buy a used phone. It's going to be the second or third generation, you know, older than the new one. We're going to pay for it in cash. We're not going to finance it every month. And you've got to put some skin in the game. And it doesn't have to be a lot, but they've got to put some money, you know, behind their wants. And what's happened with them, it's been really interesting, is that they're very careful about how they spend their money. I mean, they, they're really, I'm not saying they're stingy. They spend money on like going out with their friends and getting food, but, you know, they're not buying, you know, the name brand stuff, right? That doesn't matter to them. I mean, of course they want it, but if they want it, they go thrifting to get it. So they found ways to get cool stuff. And it also has allowed them to allow their creativity to come forth. You know, when you go thrifting, you can't just, you know, it's not done for you. You've got to, you got to be committed, right? So it gives them a chance to buy stuff that is still high quality and maybe it's a name brand, maybe not, but it's, it's super cheap. And to me, it's, it's very gratifying to see that because they're at least so far not growing up feeling like the, the world owes them something. And that was really important to me and my wife. It also is demonstrating that they are looking at their values first before they make their purchases. So they're valuing right now time with friends and, and creating memories and travel as opposed to brand name things that maybe aren't as important to them. And again, that's all personal values, but you're, you're seeing that. So you've had a lot of conversations with them. You've been demonstrating these things with your wife, even the side conversations where they could listen in. How are you feeling like as a father, your progress with your daughters and their 
and their financial future? Are you feeling like things are moving forward? And, and if so, what, what have you seen out of them that has made you feel positive? I would say so far, so good. And it's been a learning experience for me too, right? So at one point, I felt like I was behind the curve, which was not a good feeling for a financial advisor. Right? I felt like, oh man, I'm failing my kids because I'm not talking about this early enough. That was a legitimate thought that went through my head. And when I started to inspect that further, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And part of it was, again, kids don't know what they don't know, you know? So I feel like wherever you are, a lot of us are our own harshest, you know, harshest critics. And we sort of chastise ourselves for not knowing what maybe was unknowable. But I think if you start right now and have these conversations, you know, put all that past behind you, start right now and have those conversations. And for me, I feel like it's been pretty gratifying to see them in just how they fundamentally think about money. They, they, when they ask for money, which isn't often, they're almost apologetic. Like they apologize all the time for asking for 20 bucks. And I find that I'm like, did I really scare them that badly to where they feel like they can't ask for money? You know, and we're not tight with our money, but it's really their respect. They respect money. They respect us and they respect what it takes to earn, you know, the money that we do. I think they respect, respect the lifestyle that they've been able to enjoy. And I also realized, though, that I still have more work to do with them. I need to give them more control. I need to make turn over more of those decisions to them. You know, so like I've opened they have bank accounts. They all have bank accounts, but no one's opened up their own bank account. So the next step is to say, okay, yeah, you all have a savings account or you all have a checking account. You need to go open up a savings account. And then I could be there with them to help them do it. But instead of just doing it for them, and it's faster, it's easier, but they're not learning in that process. So I'm in the the process of making a, a fundamental mindset shift of my own to say, okay, you need to do these things where I would just would have picked them up and gotten them done. Like the registration for their car. Like we have you know, a couple of cars registrations coming up here. Ordinarily, I would have just picked them up and done it myself, but I'm going to have them do it. You know, they're going to go to get the e-check, go to the BMV, pay the money for it. The next time our insurance comes up, like for renewal, I'm going to have them call or have them have a conversation with the insurance agent so they can learn and understand what is this insurance stuff? Why do I need it? You know, and so I think that's a big part of the evolution is earlier with our kids, we have a tendency to tell and to do for them. But as they get older, that doesn't really work and they don't learn, you know? And so we need to put them, we need to empower them and give them more control, give them more responsibility. That's a two-way street in the sense that they really, they benefit from it a ton because they're learning and growing, but we also benefit from it because it gives us confidence that, oh yeah, they are capable. We don't have to coddle them so much. We don't have to do for, they're strong enough to do for themselves. And then that can help the relationship blossom. There'll be less lectures, more conversations, and that's better for everybody. Then at that point, when your daughters, as they get older, are ready to leave the home and do their own thing, they're going to be that much more prepared for the real world because of these real world experiences. And maybe they'll be ready to go and you'll feel like it's time as opposed to feeling like it's just a, a big breaking point. I know that can be tough for a lot of parents that, you know, maybe have done a lot for their kids for a long time and maybe they're still at home because they're getting all of it done for them. So maybe these little baby steps over time allow you to, I guess, 
let them open their wings and, and fly. So I, I think that's these are great lessons. So there's somebody listening right now that's saying, you know, I am very interested in helping my kids be better with money, my, my daughters be better with money, but I don't know a ton about money myself. What would you say to that person? Don't sell yourself short. You probably know a lot more about money than you give yourself credit for. And I'm, I'm, not, talking, I'm not talking about like tech, the technical side of money. And that's one of the challenges you know, we all face is that our industry, the financial services industry, talks about money from a very technical lens. You know, we need budgets and we need to, here's these different investment philosophies and here's how you manage credit scores. So it's all this technical finance talk, but your kids, they don't need that. Not yet. They will at some point, but this is not the time. You know, what they need is they need to understand the difference between spending and saving, why saving money is important, where money comes from. I know it seems obvious to us, but it's not obvious to kids. Just for your own edification, ask your, ask one of your kids, when can somebody retire? Now, if you ask an adult that, they would give you a, an, an answer, a realistic answer, like, oh, when someone has enough money to where they don't have to work anymore, already have a pension or something like that, right? Kids have no idea how to answer that question. So we're sometimes intimidated by the subject of finance, under, you know, under appreciating what we really know, but kids know one one hundredth of what we know. So you're always in a position to provide and instill knowledge upon them. And there are tons of resources out there to start with the basics if you really need to. And I would just hone in on your situation. So if you're just getting started and you're dealing with a preteen, then I would Google, you know, teaching preteens about money. And then what you'll do is you'll find a couple of sources that you naturally gravitate towards. You know, the way they write, the way they think will be in sync with how you think. And those are the sources you start to lean on and go back to over time. And that's what I would do. I would just start there and keep working your way up. It's like it's like building a stack, right? You start with at the very base level, you learn a little bit here, and then you learn a little bit more and it stacks on top of each other. The next thing you know, you have quite a bit of financial knowledge. And like I said, your kids really don't have any perspective on this stuff. So you, you already have a ton to offer. Ed, I know you are a resource for a lot of people to learn more about this. So where can people connect with you and learn more about helping their teens be financially responsible? Yeah, clearly this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. I started Enlighten Her a few years years ago because I was aware of the challenges that women face and particularly the cycle of women giving up their financial power. So Enlighten Her was our way to try and do something about it. So I would go to enlightenher.com. There's tons of resources all geared towards women and young women. And down the road, we're going to be coming out with an online course called Money Talks with Teens, which deals with just the subject matter about building the foundation, the the philosophy around money and how to instill that in in your teens and others. Excellent. Well, Ed, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I have a young daughter and I'm very inspired by this conversation to help her have a great life too. So thank you so much for being here today. Sure. Thanks for having me. a teenage father yet, but I'm preparing. And this conversation is a great starting place for me. I hope it was for you too. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Ed Vargo. Number one, be a good example. Teaching smart financial habits is the same as teaching good life skills to your kids. 
If you want your kids to be smart with money, show them how with your example. If you want your teens to practice giving some of their money, give with them. If you want them to understand the difference between needs and wants, show them how to manage that process when you're out shopping. And as Ed said, you can even do this through conversations with your spouse when they're an earshot away. They're going to hear you. They're going to see you and they'll follow your example. Number two, don't start your lessons in a heightened emotional state. Wow. Yeah, this <laughs> this says a lot without me even explaining. <laughs> I know that I'm much better at verbalizing my feelings and my thoughts when I'm calm. Sometimes I get so worked up or I'm exhausted or I'm just tired and I just, oh, I just let it out. <laughs> but if I take the time to leave the room and just take 10 minutes just to breathe or get a good night's sleep, it can make the world of difference for both my kids and my marriage and everything in between. So if you are trying to portray a lesson or share some wisdom with your children, do it from not a heightened emotional state. Do it from a calm place. And I actually use an app called Calm. It helps me to calm down. It's a sort of a meditation and relaxation app. And when I'm done with that, I feel like I'm in a much better state to go about my day, let alone teach important skills to my kids. So Ed mentioned this obviously is important for everybody in your situations, but also it's very important for teens that way you are on an even keel and you're helping them to learn and they're probably more apt to listen. So I don't have a teenage daughter right now, but hey man, she's only five years away, so I better practice now. <laughs> Number three, don't worry about being an expert. Just start conversations. If you're worried about knowing enough about money to actually help your kids along, don't worry. You don't need to be an expert. Start with what you know Back it up with your morals and just start conversations. You may know more than you give yourself credit for. And as Ed mentioned, it's not important to master the financial jargon. It's important to discuss high level and important money lessons like spending versus saving, needs versus wants, and how money can make your life easier or how it can make it harder. So start where you are. And help your kids have a healthy relationship with money before they are off and out of the house. It's better that they make a $5 money mistake now in their teens and learn instead of a $50,000 money mistake later. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing today's show. Thanks so much, Dan. And thank you to Alec Collins for editing our YouTube videos. You guys can check those out at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash YouTube. And please hit the subscribe button. I am nearing 1,000 subscribers, so your help there would be awesome. Before we go for the day, I'd like to share some great news with you all. Marriage, Kids, and Money has won another Plutus Award for Best Family or Couples Content. The Plutus Awards, if you guys haven't heard of these before, this is essentially like the Oscars for personal finance. So to receive this award two years in a row is just a huge honor. I'm blown away because I love what I'm doing. <laughs> and so the fact that people are saying, yeah, we love what you're doing too, uh, just fills me up, man. <laughs> 
So thank you all so much for your support this year. This award is a huge honor and it just makes me smile. Without you guys, it would not have been possible. So here's to you, the listeners of this podcast, because without you, again, this would not have been possible. I cannot wait to keep producing this award-winning show for you. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Unknown. The funny thing about kids is they are the reason we lose it and the reason we hold it together. Be an example, keep your cool, and most of all, listen. Carpe diem! 